0: For May 4th, 2020, it's the Overthinking podcast, episode 618. I feel personally attacked by this data set. It's overthinking it where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier when we are hanging out than when we are hanging out together and talking about the things that interest us. The movies, the TV, the video games, the cultural phenomenon, and today, the music. I'm Matt Rather. I am joined by my very good friends, Matt Belenke. Hey, Matt.
1: Hey, how's it going, Matt? Good to hear from
0: you, as always. As always. And uh, Pete Fenzel joins us today. Hey, Pete. Hey, guys. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? (laughs) Yeah, a little tired, but doing good. (laughs) (laughs) Hold that thought. Mark uh, Lee also joins us. Hey, Mark, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. Ready to do this?
0: Excellent. Yeah, we're we're gonna listen to some music together and feel old collectively. But I think another person who might be feeling old is Pete Fenzel. Pete, you're back from parental leave sooner sooner than we thought. That's uh, you know, overthinking it provides unlimited paid parental leave. We continue your salary <laughs> <laughs> indefinitely, and you can take right. as much time off as you want. I even got a seven
3: thousand percent raise. It's awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's my that's my gift to you for uh, you know the the big change that's happening in your family. Well, congr- congratulations. How are you doing?
3: Uh, yeah, I'm doing good. We're doing great. The little guy's healthy and he's doing well. It's funny because it seems like such a big deal, and then it occurs to me that you know Mark and. Matt have also both done this like very recently right? so it's it's not a it's not a it's not all entirely new but um yeah uh when they're really when they're really little, you have to feed them every two or three hours and so you're up all night a lot of the time and so i'm a little bit loopy so i apologize in advance if i say anything untoward but we're over the moon we're very happy to have him and we are hunkered down uh and would be anyway so um it is sometimes even easy to forget that the world is crazy because uh our, our lives are crazy but
1: for a good reason so that is a good now, thing. pete i know i know it's still early days but do you have a sense about what is taste in pop culture is Yes, he's responding to.
3: Yes. So the first movie he ever watched, which was immediately after he was born, was too fast, too furious in the hospital uh, from either our arms or from the plexiglass bassinet. Uh, He appears to identify with Tyrese because he is very hungry. And as you may recall in that movie and in other movies, it is a running gag that Tyrese's character in the Fast and Furious movies is always hungry. So I think that probably his inspiration to constantly have to eat either comes from his tiny stomach or comes from Tyrese. Uh, Well, I'll say this. He always used to kick a lot and get really rowdy in utero when we watched Picard. So he either really liked Picard or he really didn't like Picard. Um, And so far, the song that he responds to the most positively, other than the Jigglypuff song, which I sang to him every day, from when I thought, when I knew he existed through uh, to the present day, pretty much is uh, Paul Simon's, you can call me out, which he really seems to respond to. He, he likes the, uh, the, da, and he think he thinks the the, uh, the deep existential themes uh, right under the sunny veneer of the song. Just, they really speak to him and his, and his desire to, to gum things and gobble things and poop himself and sleep. So
0: it's, uh, Um, so you started with too fast, too furious. That's, that's interesting to me and not starting with the number, the, the first film in the franchise. So do you have your own kind of machete order of, uh, fast of the Fastiverse that, you know, you, you feel like the film should be experienced in.
3: So this is the order that you should watch the fast, the furious movies with a newborn baby. Oh, I see. So, so the television station that you're watching is going to only be able to license the cheap ones. So you're going to be choosing between Fast and uh, Too Fast <laughs> and Furious, potentially the head. first Fast and Furious. Maybe they sprung for that. Then they're going to have Too Fast and Furious. Then they may or may not have Tokyo Drift. Then they will definitely have Fast and Furious. So I would suggest start watching at the point where the movie is on television, at the point that you need to watch it, uh-huh. and then keep watching because it will marathon repeatedly on television. Television station. So you might end up watching, say, the second two thirds of Tokyo Drift first, right? And then you watch the fourth one, and then you watch The Hunt for Red October, and then you watch the first one again at three in the morning when they've come back around to it, and then you keep going until you find yourself waking up and watching a Christmas story on repeat for some reason. <laughs> Got it. But uh, I would say that's really the canonical way to watch. Yeah,
0: we, we call that the Law and Order Law and Order. <laughs>
3: <laughs> dong dong.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's the Dick Wolf reading of the Fast and the Furious franchise, which is just watch all of it all the time. <laughs> it let it, allow it to blur into it, itself, right? Allow it to achieve this Joycean erasure of identity, right? It, <laughs> exactly.
0: Like it's it becomes like uh you know it is an aggregate. It's like a concrete. It's an aggregate, like in a fine paste that is just extrude, extruded in a homogenous way through the sixteen by nine extrusion. Mechanism of your television, <laughs>
3: like rather than individual friends, you find that you have family, and you can't tell
1: the difference <laughs> between any. <of> them. <laughs> um,
0: well, it's good that you. It's good that that you have the little one started on uh, on uh, call me Al. So I, I think that's interesting and, and it means that he will recognize that song later in life if you keep, if you keep playing, uh, with him. But the, the genesis of our conversation today was a, uh, was a uh, article, not an article, sort of an experiment, a data visualization, a kind of experiential uh, research project that was published on the um, published on the internet by a, uh, a publication called The Pudding, which is a sort of journalism and data visualization uh, concern. Their website is pudding.cool. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. And it uh, it tests your recognition – of various songs through various decades. Um, and, uh, it asks how old you are. And so you get a sense of how many people from, you know, Generation X know Madonna's Like a Virgin. That number is very high. But how many of them know, you know, I don't know, Get Low? Presumably that number could be lower. Uh, or, right like some other sort of even more recent uh some more recent music so you take a an online quiz that tests your musical knowledge or or not really your recognition of hit songs um from particular generations and you input your age so that it can aggregate all of the data points and it has collected some number of hundreds of thousands of them uh, at this point and it you know this thing continues to chug along we found this we found this uh this experiment very interesting and i guess i think the way we'll start here is i'm just going to take the quiz uh online together so uh no helping before, me before we oh, started,
2: yeah i mean i would slightly reframe the way you cast it it's it's not so much a i mean it's partially a quiz of your own musical knowledge but like the more important output of this is this aggregate sense of like based on generation what songs are well remembered. And what songs are forgotten or what songs are, are, are just like not newer particularly for newer songs, what songs are just like not at all on the radar of yeah. the of the uh, of the older people.
1: Yeah. And can I just say before we start, I feel personally <laughs> attacked by this data set. (laughs) both by how out of touch i am with current pop culture and how songs that i consider to be timeless classics are like down at like zero percent i mean that's that that
0: that feels uh uh a little odd to me matt because you feeling you you are a member of generation x and feeling personal uh, personally attacked is more of a millennial characteristic i would say (laughs)
1: Oh. I think I'm 1980, and so that doesn't that mean I'm like I'm just barely a millennial. Uh, you,
0: me, I think Pete, Mark, we are all on the. Uh, well, Mark, maybe you're you've tipped over a little bit into. I'm solidly in millennial
2: camp. Yeah, we're
0: we are on the Matt. We are on the the generational. Um, I I don't I I don't want to call it what it is, but let me tell you, it taint one and it taint the other. So uh, that's where we are <laughs> on the on the generational divide.
1: I'm so proud to be to be on the right there with you on, on that narrow strip of, of ground. <laughs> between
0: between the uh generation X generation and the millennial generation. So it's yeah, it may not be uh you know, it may be um that we, uh, uh, you know, maybe that we have a lot to say, but let's just dive in. I'm going to take this. I'm going to test my recognition of these songs to contribute to the sum total of knowledge of generational, uh, recognition of these songs. So I have, I have, uh, informed the machine that I was born in the year 1980 and I can test, uh, my knowledge of the 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s or the 2010s. Um, what should I, what should I do uh my my smart funny friends i've i've actually done these for the 90s the 2000s and the the 2010s um no helping me but you can make fun of me uh a lot and uh so what what where should where should i go where would you like us to go in this uh in this um time machine we have here
2: can i suggest the 2000s because the 90s is very much when we were in high school Um, and we're, plugged into things and the two thousands, uh, are when we were in college, but also like leaving college and just like, not as, as current with things. And and that I think will be the most interesting mix of things that we know and don't know.
0: It was definitely, yeah, it exposed holes in my, in my knowledge for sure. Yeah,
1: I have an hypothesis here that I want to throw out before we start. That really what this is testing is how much time you spent in a car during this period of time.
2: Mm, That's a good point. Yeah. All right so that like
1: you happen to be let's say living in a city and not driving in a car and and being exposed to FM radio maybe you listen to a bunch of podcasts. Maybe you just listen to all the 90s music on repeat and you didn't get a lot of chance to hear what was number one on the radio in 2004.
0: Well, if you listen to a bunch of podcasts in the 2000s, you were a very early adopter uh, of of podcasts. And and some people, I mean, maybe you listen to books on tape or whatever you had on your, your iPod, but I'm given to understand, Matt, no one I know, but I'm given to understand that some people listen to FM radio recreationally, even though they have literally any other option and uh (laughs) these these people uh these these people like live among us they live in our cities they're they're going around so it it might be that someone had you know on the walkman or whatever the uh you know z100 right like uh going uh going going on or or what power 106 in la or k-earth or something well that's more an oldie station okay um 2000s mark all right let's do it yeah let's do it all right we're going to test your music knowledge from the 2000s all all right uh i'm rating that don't know it Okay, uh that is, sounds familiar. Uh Singing the lyrics, the fourth of the four options.
2: Money, 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 if you ain't no pump, we want freedom. We want freedom. Yeah. It's something that you need to have. And when she leaves your way, she's going to leave with half. 18 years, 18 years, and on her 18th birthday, found out it
0: would All right, know it. It's from 2005. I'm going to click sounds familiar on that. <laughs> Jason Derulo <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna click. Sounds familiar. All right, I'm I'm uh, embarrassed that I know that better than Kanye, but there's uh, there's that. Uh, I don't know that one And last Sorry, I'm just letting this play at this point <laughs> All right. I mean, and singing, so singing the lyrics. Plastic.
2: Unfortunately, R. Kelly is canceled, I believe.
0: Yeah, that's uh But, no. you know, still is definitely emblematic of a, of a generation. So I knew five of the ten songs. So uh, I did yeah, not
3: same, know... Same here. I,
2: got, I got 50% as well. I did not yeah, know... you didn't know
3: Dilemma? That's the one where, I think, where Kelly Rowland gets mad because she texts her boyfriend on Microsoft Excel and he doesn't get back to her.
0: Yeah, there she were two... The yeah. I didn't know Dilemma or Grills,
1: apparently your uh, nelly your saint lunacy is insufficient <laughs> <laughs> and Did uh, i say that, that you are a very brave man to take this quiz publicly yes, because yes. i feel like when i when i when i took this i got a, like a similar score as you but like i felt bad about it i felt <laughs> like i should know and and uh, like this made me want to resolve to just like somehow take a crash course in like the mid two thousands and like re you know so, uh, does VH1 still do like a uh, remember the two thousands. Yeah, right. Something like that, but I it actually maps really well,
0: Matt, to your theory. Not not necessarily about cars, but about like my life pursuits at this point. Right, it sort of fell off of of being aware of pop music, or or even you know, I, I was so busy like adjusting to the workforce and like you know doing uh, a, a hashtag adulting right for the first time. So it, it sort of takes up a lot of a lot of your your time and attention that I didn't have a chance to. to pay attention to because all the ones that i did not know were between graduation from college and like uh later you know the the late 90s like the jason derulo song is from uh, not 90s 2000s the jason derulo song is a remix from um 2009 and i knew that I also knew the imaging heap um, original from uh, from a, a lot significantly earlier than that from the early part of the, the 2000s. Um, Ignition I know uh, largely because that's a that's a classic and a karaoke classic among us, so I could I could rate that one four out of four I am singing the lyrics versus three out of four "I know it," which is uh, gold digger, right I know it, but I couldn't like sing it back to you now uh, kryptonite, I arranged for our marching band. <laughs> (laughs) So that's the only reason why I really know that, that three doors down song. But yeah, I was definitely, definitely have like holes in, uh, in like early, early two thousands kind of R and B, right. Not, uh, not super fluent, not super conversant. So, okay. What, what, what does this tell you about me as a, as a generational person?
3: Uh, I mean, it's interesting, probably that you were dropping off the pop culture wagon like a little bit, perhaps uh, in terms of like not the pop culture wagon. Let me rephrase. It says that you didn't listen to top 40 radio a lot at the time. Yeah, I think. Yeah. that, that And that, that was something that stuck with me looking at this whole piece, which is not just how old is the song, but what was the vector that the, you came to know this song. Like, I know that Jason Derulo song really well because I wrote an article about it, right? Like, and I listened to it. I think I saw it at the gym. I listened to it. It was playing on a gym, uh, on like a gym treadmill television or something. And I, uh, and I got obsessed with it and I wrote a huge overthinking it article about it. And now I remember it. I've sung it karaoke and all sorts of other stuff. Um, but yeah, and like the Nelly song, I primarily remember because I had a friend at the time who listened to uh, that song a lot. But it also was on the radio and on TV. Um, but yeah, I guess it's where do you encounter it? Where do you come across the song? Where did, Where were you in, you in your life that you came across that song often enough that it really embedded itself into your memory? Uh, which I guess is, the, is there like a critical mass that a particular song hits um, that uh, wherein you do remember it? Or is it more about how often have you heard it repeated since you came to remember it in the first place? I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. But that was my first thought, which was that, well, Matt, you were in college, so you weren't driving a car. And because you weren't driving a car, you weren't listening to the radio. Um, And like, where else would you hear the radio? I I can guarantee you that Nelly was playing on the radio in and around New Haven in the early 2000s. But uh, I don't I don't know where you would have heard it. Right. Because, you know, you were working in a church. Mm -hmm. So maybe now we to <laughs> playing at the church which is uh an Oversight. No, it's very it was
0: very progressive. Our music our music program was very <laughs> mm-hmm. I was playing I played all kinds of things on the organ and on the on the uh, carillon bells and on the, Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> but Pete, I think I think you're onto something because as we sort of look at the data, we're going to want to say a lot of grumpy things about Gen Z and how Gen Z the the recognition of pop music seems to drop off a cliff when you hit Gen Z and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that like mass culture is not as a thing in the way it was. And that like, if everybody watches YouTube channels that are just sort of narrowly crafted for them, you know, like, like watching MTV to be exposed to popular music is not a thing anymore. And as a result, I think that like we don't have this sort of shared body of pop music that, like, everybody can be assumed to be familiar with?
3: Yeah, yeah, that seems fair, right? And I mean, because there's, I mean, certainly it takes a lot less to be on top of the charts. I, I would assume, right? I mean, that's the, something. Well, no, I've been going I, every with this every chart,
0: time. not just the yeah. not just like the Billboard chart, but like the top, you know, the top television shows would have been an embarrassment in previous generations, right? Right, like, right, right. You know, the worst the worst episode of Friends ever would blow away the greatest episode of of This Is Us or whatever it is these right. days. You know, I, I mean, the fact that I don't know what it is these days is is in itself telling. Though apparently, I don't listen to Top Forty the, or the radio in general.
2: Although okay, I will say, so uh, uh, okay, go ahead go for yeah, it. Yeah, there's a, a different take on this uh, notion that what we're talking about, you know, culture is fragmented. There's no true mass culture anymore, which is that um, the slice of songs that we just got there leaned heavily on that like mid-aughts uh, R&B, right? As uh, exemplified by Nelly. Um, noticeably absent from this were the th- at least the, the, the t- two or three w- um, biggest, most pervasively known pop acts of the last decade which i would posit were taylor swift Katy perry and beyonce um i put them out there as saying like you know that those are the the exceptions right that show that you know that that's what's left of a mass culture um but they were not those their songs were not on this for whatever reason presumably for random sampling maybe because there's a rights issue uh with whatever streaming service they're using to get these little clips from but i bet if um If we were served up their biggest hits, then we would have recognized them, right? I Kissed a Girl, uh, any of the number of Taylor Swift songs, big hits from then, and then likewise for Beyonce as well. Um, Would you agree that, uh, like, you know, there was just like some sampling for whatever reason that uh, we got some of the, like, maybe that's the point of it. Like, those are the mid tier. Well, I mean, we could
3: go real deep on this. I mean, do we want to go real deep on a conjecture here? Uh, that, that might be, if not, it's not, it's <laughs> not here. The, the, it's yeah, not this now, isn't, this life. isn't
0: really the podcast for that. I feel, you know, <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. 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 So here's the deal, right? Here's the deal. Uh, rhythm, rhythmic, contemporary radio format, right? Uh, it, there is uh, when when does that really start happening? So so I think what one of the things the these samples that are picked for picked for this quiz and here I'm not I'm not trying to confound the quiz but to understand it are all top three chart toppers right and the, these are going to be influenced by album sales and radio play uh, in the era that we're talking about and in this time period that we're discussing in the 2000s. The radio play and pop radio has moved very much in in a sort of uh, um I mean how they 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 call it rhythmic contemporary in order to get around the racial issues right because here's the real racial issue Matt if you were black you would know the Nelly song almost certainly right like and and I don't say that to be cruel I'm just saying that like or to be rude it's just sort of like maybe maybe the the there is a there are a distinct subcultures right that might be racially coded within the United States. Uh, and that these subcultures might have different sorts of modalities as to the music that they listen to'm yeah,
0: I'm, I'm not convinced and, by i'm not convinced by that but
3: go on <laughs> well maybe maybe not i don't know <laughs> no it's I'm absolutely once you, you, go, you think that a hypothetical uh african-american matt rather would be more or less familiar with dilemma by uh kelly roland and and featuring Nellie right um uh, yeah you, I, you was about, say, I mean the I'm thing curious, was here what you
0: think the thing i was going to say to to mark is that i think once you start introducing genre uh, um, um, you have to, yeah, you have to control for other variables beyond, you know, beyond age. Like, uh, I, if you have a a aggregate sort of popularity rating, like the, the Billboard Hot 100, that takes all of these different, I mean, there's sort of local maxima, right, among, you know, if you were to sort of chart genre on the x-axis and like airplays on the, the y-axis, like that You know, there would be a kind of multimodal distribution of those, of that histogram, the, the, with the, you know, peaks at the best R&B songs, the best rock songs, the best country songs, the best, like, uh, you know, Swedish electronic pop songs, right? That, that, uh, and if you have like an aggregate measure of that, but it is, it is true that like you do leave out a lot of, you do leave out a lot of, Interesting information, and uh, the effect I think can be a kind of reversion, like uh, can be a reinforcement of the of the uh, hegemonic discourse. Drink, drink, and um, yeah, it's a, it is. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I probably would not only know the two Nelly songs; I'd probably know the like the the Ciara song as well, uh, which I did not know.
3: So, so here's so here's a little snapshot, and I think this might problematize some of the simple explanations for why we, you might not be as familiar with the songs that maybe the ones I proposed or not. The number one song when dilemma by Nellie featuring Kelly Rowland, I had it the other way. I apologize to Nellie, uh, but not to Kelly Rowland. Um, the number one song was dilemma. This was in August 17th, 2002, two days after my birthday. The number two song was a song you definitely know, which was hot in her. By Nelly, the self same, right? Mm. Mm. You definitely know that song, probably because um, who arranged that one for marching band? Um, was that you, or was
2: that who did that I, one? I, I, I wish it were me, um, but it was. It must have been someone else. Um, okay. But yes, a, a, a classic for sure.
3: But the number Time three song is a song that I know has to be near and dear to Matt's heart, which is complicated by Avril Levine, right?
0: Well, I why would you have to go and make me so predictable?
3: Well, but Matt, why would why would I say? And I'm not trying to make a character judgment. Why when I would say, "Oh, Complicated" by Avril Lavigne, why would I assume that that's a song that you're really familiar with?
0: Well, because I I did make a uh, an in depth study. My thesis project in college was an in depth study of the the like female driven pop and sort of pop punk uh, kind of uh, you know acts that were that were then current. So it is it was that is right in my wheelhouse. You know, Wait, oh, I so would so is that is that true. Yeah, absolutely. I was your I was your friend. I was the biggest. I was the oh, I, what was I majoring in? I was majoring in uh, Britney Spears with uh, a minor in Christina Aguilera, and I did my honors thesis in Mandy Moore. <laughs> I remember that.
3: That's right. That's right. You did a, you did a thesis on Mandy Moore, right? Oh man, that's a long time. I was going to say because it was heavily used at the time with relation to Dawson's Creek. Which you're a huge fan of, as I know, right? I'm
1: sure sure that there was, like, an angstful... Is angstful a word? There's, like, a montage where, like, Pacey is, like, I don't know, watching creepily through somebody's window. uh, Yeah, I mean, I I thought it was... Whatever they did on Dawson's Creek.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, didn't it... Where did it i I feel like I was introduced to that song through Dawson's Creek really uh, I, I think know, of Dawson's Creek
0: not. as being as being earlier than that Dawson's Creek ran from nineteen ninety eight to two thousand three and complicated uh by Avril Lavinia um was released in uh, 2002. So maybe, I don't know they could have done it. I, it. It
3: might have just been a
0: commercial for Dawson's
3: Creek that I saw a million times that played that song and the background and that, that burned into my memory. I guess it's that I don't know. Maybe That is so That's so interesting to consider that there are these sort of cluster experiences that have a certain probability right? Because it's, like, it's not like you didn't know any of the music. I mean the other songs in the top 10 are what? Uh, I Need a Girl Part 2 by P. Diddy just a Friend by Mario, down for you. And I think what you're really seeing is that is the radio format and album sales in the early age of piracy uh, become especially dominated by hip-hop loyalists uh, who will continue to buy albums. I mean, I'm only saying that with regards to, like, well, there was a great Cameron video once, right, where he said, like, if I make a bad album, half a million people will buy it. Uh, but if I make a good album, like a million people will buy it. And I can't afford to piss off the half million people who will buy my bad album. Uh, <laughs> something along those lines. But, I mean, I don't know. I think of this as a time where hip-hop and country really surged or started to surge because, quote-unquote, mainstream white people stopped buying music and started pirating it all the time. Um, and And, like, sort of urban, you know, suburban – but maybe, maybe that's just a conjecture again, I mean, what hero by Chad Kroger, we all heard that song a Magjillion gazillion times, right um, so it's not like we is don't that, know the
1: song Is that song not Nickelback
3: no it is it is a uh... <laughs> I thought,
1: I've been blaming
3: Nickelback for that song for years I mean it's approximately Nickelback right like it's I mean not,
1: it's not unlike Nickelback right
3: I mean, it has it's a Chad Kroger song that has a Ballad meter, right, and it's like kind of grindy. Um, it, it, it is, uh, I, guess, well, I guess you could you could say it is a crossover between Nickelback and Saliva, but in that kind of in that kind of weighing of influences, it is hard to give Saliva like an even representation, right? Like, is anybody to hear that song and be like, nobody hears Hero from Spider Man and is like, man, I keep forgetting that's not a Saliva song. Right, everyone thinks it's a Nickelback song, so I don't know. Yeah, you're probably right.
1: Two, right? What? What? Do you mean Two, right? The
0: uh, well, yeah, I, the hero Pete that I remember that is most uh, that is nearest and dearest to my heart is uh, the song "Hero" by Mariah Carey from the '90s. Uh, right. With you know, and oh, then and, and then, then a hero he- comes with the strength that the hero comes along with the strength to carry on and you're something something alive and you know you can survive
1: you cast your fears aside oh got, yeah. it. You can't got
0: it sorry i i was looking at the wrong column a and the wrong column b it's
1: got to be it's got to be really early 90s cuz it sounds like it could be 80s like it's got that just sort of it doesn't have any it, it feels so uh, uh, something eighties about it. You know, it would be another interesting quiz to just like play play a song and just guess what year it is. Sure. Say well, you know,
0: track. it's funny the the Hood Internet the the remix the remix artists at the Hood Internet did something like this where they've they've done sort of supercuts in audio form of the music from a particular year, uh, and I think they've done nineteen seventy nine through nineteen eighty three at this point, and so they. They've they've created a three-minute track, which samples and kind of includes hooks from... Um, fifty different songs from a particular year. So, fifty different songs from from 1979 are sampled and and sort of extruded into uh you know chopped and formed and extruded into a, a great baloney of uh of a YouTube video that like uh you know where you can sort of recognize the you can recognize the things um the the individual pieces that are that are being made uh into into the larger whole. And it it just it's interesting, like <laughs> uh this this sort of supercut phenomenon, right, is interesting. And it's not Matt what you said uh about sort of quizzing you, but it is to a certain extent it's quizzing you in the sense that like I'm sure there are a couple of uh there are a couple of those where you'd be like, Oh, I didn't realize that came out in that uh, I didn't realize that came out in that particular year. I didn't realize like like a, a version was the the same year as as this song by Pr- Purple Rain. I think right the, were those both eighty four. Um, I don't know, Matt. I thought you might have some thoughts about about the process of of making making supercuts. Did you happen to see these these year by year remixes?
1: They're pretty amazing, and I, honestly, I wish I knew more about. Combining the audio and, like, you know, uh, stripping down songs to their composite pieces. I don't know what, uh, you know, what you do to, like, you know, extract just, like, one particular instrumental lick from something and then change the key and change the tempo and, like, remix it and everything. Um, It sounds – it sounds very – you know, and, I mean, honestly, I was was thinking about that when I looked at the data for this quiz because – it feels like so much of pop music nowadays is all about uh, sort of a Quentin Tarantino esque synthesis of everything that came before, and it's just sort of like you know you look at the um, you look at the listings on like Genius or what whatever your your preferred um, you know music uh, attribution site is and and just to see everything that was sampled you know in, in a in a radio track and a hip hop track. Um, And, you know, like a lot of these songs have like, you know, a dozen, two dozen different samples, uh, you know, that are like, you know, explicitly lifted from different things. Not to mention the fact that I'm hearing a lot of these songs nowadays that are less samples and more just like straight up remakes. You know what I'm talking about? Where like the entire melody or the entire chorus almost word for word is just they're just like, what if we just did that song? Um, What? What is it? There was like, there's a song that's all over the radio nowadays. This is going to come to me in about ten minutes, and it's it's almost it's like a female vocalist, and it's like a song from the '80s, and it's like almost exactly the same. It's just a new version of it
0: with different with different lyrics to, or the or the same lyrics.
1: I think the same lyrics, but it's just I, I feel like people but didn't it's, used to do that. But it's not people a cover. did used to release like straight. It's not well. I mean, but, the, but here's the thing. It's like. It used to be like if you did a cover, it had to be like a fairly a, a fairly faithful cover, right? You couldn't just change the lyrics, you couldn't just decide to keep the choruses and insert, um, you know, your own uh, your own verses. But now, all right, hold on a second. Somebody else say something, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little research on Billboard and figure out what song I'm talking about. But I'm. Um, I mean, there
3: is there is definitely a country song right now that is out that I hear because we listen to country radio and we drive sometimes and that where it is like very, very clearly the, the I'm yours song is underneath it. You know, duh, da da da. da, da. Uh, the jason the
0: jason Moraz song it feels like that jason Mraz song is like in the bones of this song well i um there there was a very matt there's there was a like a very sort of sensational one in 1997 in a political film starring warren Beatty. uh do you happen to remember that one is this uh, is this ghetto superstar yeah ghetto superstar and and sort of the the uh, melody from islands in the stream right that like um uh more or less just repurposing the repurposing the the melody and that you know that happens a lot uh there are a couple of like really really fantastic tracks that that do that um that's just the one from my formative musical period that I remember the most my teenage years.
2: So let me recall back to one of the first, or I think the first article I wrote for overthinking it, right? Which is the, uh, the Hubbard peak theory of rock or why we're out of good songs, um, which uh, I'll try to summarize it very briefly. Uh, took the, what at the time was the list of Rolling Stone top 500 quote unquote, very heavy, quote, quote, rock songs from all time uh, and uh, charted them based on count by year that the song Was released, And no big surprise, uh, it skewed heavily towards the 60s and 70s and started to tail off in the 80s and 90s. And the theory being that, like, you know, the peak theory of oil uh, uh, would would say that, you know, once you, you know, uh, hit this, uh, start to extract this finite resource, you know, you pull it out of the ground very, very quickly and then it's going to tails off afterwards. And the idea is that, you know, once we kind of came across the pop music formula, um, then we did something similar to that. Granted, there's a lot of complications to this, and I don't really like take that theory to the bank. But I think what we're getting at here is that, like, you know, with all the successive waves of rock and roll, rock, pop, hip hop, R and B, so on and so forth, it's like um, the 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 well is starting to run dry. And well, what is left to do but to remix and then accidentally redo things as well, which is a whole other thing that uh, maybe we don't have time to get into about the, the, the the epidemic of plagiarism lawsuits. Because somebody writes a song, and it just so happens to have the same chord progression, and they can convince a jury that that was copying. Um, so uh, I guess all that is to say that, sure, yeah, all the songs are sounding the same, and you're doing remix stuff. That That is you know that is what it is. Um, to take try to take this back to the data set for, for just a second here, and it does tie, I think this ties into the point I'm about to make, is that um, there is a short list, maybe about a couple dozen songs, uh, in this article, after you click through and do the quiz, and it says like these are songs that are essentially universally recognized by all generations. Um, and as an example of this, like "Stayin' Alive" by the Bee Gees, written in 1978, but Gen Z, Millennials, Gen Xers, and Boomers uh, all know the song. I'd right? like the 98, 99 percent of people who took this quiz, they all they all recognize it. This list is is dominated by songs from the 60s, 70s, and a little bit of the 80s as well, too. There is only one song past the year 2000 on it, and that is uh, the song Happy by Pharrell Williams.
0: Yeah, so um, all of these these songs all have a huge thing in common, right? Which is, you could hear all of these songs at a blank. What? Wedding. Wedding reception, yeah. Exactly. And that's like, these are all, these are all sort of like mediocre (laughs) DJ type, middle of the road, like, uh, offend no one and delight, you know, like, uh, please everyone moderately, uh, sort of bangers, you know, this is, this is what you, uh, this is what you put oh, on, oh,
2: give, give them more credit, right? How can something be middle of the road and a banger at the same time?
0: Uh, okay. B- middle of the road. Uh, uh, I, I don't need banger. I, I don't mean bangers. It, reliable, reliable tracks. You know, it's a, it's a, a, bunch of, get a bunch of people pointing rhythmically at your, you know, at your wedding reception.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the best example of this on this, there's, there's so many of them like this, right? right? Living on a prayer, Bon Jovi, 1987. Um, Although actually, like we look at the the much maligned Gen Z, um, only 92 percent, a relatively low, at least in this highest tier population, only 92 percent of Gen Z recognizes living out of prayer. Mm -hmm. They should know a thing or two about uh, being having some hard times and having to put your six string in hawk. This generation does not know those hard times.
0: Yeah, and also there are some legitimately good uh, songs that I should not be slagging off uh, on this on this particular list. But uh, you know, there is some there is much that is mediocre as well, or at least is a you know is a very safe bet.
2: Um,
0: you know, for what can, it's, can, for what
2: it's worth, can we look at the other interesting part of this list here, which is the songs that you would expect Gen Z to know, but is just completely and totally off of their radar.
0: Um yeah, I mean the whole the whole oeuvre of Carol King, for example, right? Like
3: Kids These Days. <laughs> kids these kids and their tapestries, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean what what is an example of something that you think that they should know that they don't know? The I'm, long I'm... song by Cisco from the year two thousand. <laughs> They, are thongs even really a thing anymore? I think people just—I think that anybody under the age of thirty just doesn't wear any underwear ever for any reason, right? Is that because I have a feeling everybody's doing more risque things than I'm doing right now? So I mean,
2: under a certain age, I mean they wear diapers as opposed to underwear. So that's I mean, true. That, that's I know what that. Constant. You and have to poop themselves
0: constantly. <laughs> these kids, these kids today, are
3: just constantly pooping. Here's what the next generation loves: pooping themselves, <laughs> glassy eyed stares for five minutes before going. to sleep and being incredibly lovable and amazing those three things sorry i'm I'm a little bit free uh a little bit lost in what remember the time i mean they know thriller well that's an example right they know everything they all know thriller but they don't know other michael jackson songs even from the same albums right which is which is interesting
0: it's almost like it's almost like the album yeah it's almost like the album is not a form is not a like a culturally relevant format anymore
3: were you surprised they didn't know Soul Man? Like 0% knew
2: Soul Man? I'm not that surprised. No. <laughs> this is a bit of a deeper cut. Okay, here's another I'll throw out there. Regulate by Warren G from 1994. Um, actually, of has lower marks across the board here. Gen X and Millennials are like 55, uh, 60% and uh, 55% respectively. Gen Z, only 8%. Um, this Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a massive, massive rap hit song from the mid-90s. And also, uh, I
3: feel like something that's conversant, like people talk about it to this day that I know, right, regularly, I would expect those sort of incidental moments where you might be exposed to it to be relatively frequent, because I feel like I encounter it relatively frequently. I don't think back to like, oh, man, when was the last time I listened to regulate? It's more like when was the last time I personally said regulators mount up within the last two weeks, right? (laughs) It's sort of but that's just my experience for it. So I guess it's interesting to think that the young people not only don't have the exposure to the song, but don't have those sort of ancillary exposures or perhaps aren't even picking up on them. Maybe well, they just don't talk to old people. I don't know.
2: We have the, also the experience of having gone through the financial crisis of 2008, um, which I thought really brought that back in a big way. We <laughs> <laughs> were really waiting for those regulators. Yeah. <laughs> so,
3: so may, may I propose a confounding counter example? And I want to hear what you guys have to say about it to all of this, this idea of like the, mo- the monoculture, uh, the like mass culture, As I talked about, also the splintering of the recording industry and the sort of way that we track songs. Um, Here's the counterexample, and I want you to explain it to me. Uh, Despacito.
0: Uh.
3: That's it. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Sorry, (laughs) I thought. Despacito was the most popular song ever in any time period of all time at this point, Right. Is that fair to say?
1: Measured by no. sure, I mean. no, it's not. I mean, it depends. Uh, you know, using the metrics that you use, but like the music industry is not what you. I'm. I'm not. Well, sure. i mean, sure pe- that Despacito is like more of a hit than like I want to hold your hand or something. It's just like the the it's apples and oranges. Because so, the world has changed, but yes, I mean, if you're going by YouTube views, then yes,
3: <laughs> which is the only metric. Which the Beatles are not so good at,
0: right? Yeah, the, the, the yeah, Beatles you know, had terrible. It had zero <laughs> YouTube views for decades, decades. <laughs> they were not a viral hit. It was like, slow. Yeah, no slow one like li- so. you know. Hey, no you one know what? You know what else is them, really? slow? Despacito. <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: actually adverbially slow. It is slowly, in fact. <laughs> but like, sigh, Gangnam Style, right? Maybe I'm going too far back, even. But, uh, but like, it does seem like sometimes there are big new songs that everybody hears that are big, huge things. But, that, but I don't know how that mixes with the fact that I feel like really separated from other new things. Like I hear the the Rover song, you know, at the gym. And I, and I just complain because, you know, it's like, look, they probably have an evoke and they can't even fit in the back seat of an evoke. Uh, but but as in like as in like, you know, Halsey goes on Saturday Night Live and sings a song that I know of from like years ago because there are no new ones. Although she did the cowboy one, which I didn't even know. Right. It's just it's like I feel like. There are there are fewer and fewer songs that are that are new. that are getting traction for me, partially because I'm getting older, but also partially because the mechanisms for manufacturing traction have broken down. Um, and also you would think that virality has been strangled in it. You know, I can't even use the metaphor. I get too upset even thinking about it. Um, they, like the mechanisms for organic virality are 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 deeply opposed by the entrenched aggregators who demand you pay for it right at this point so like they've even been actively frustrating the spread of viral contents uh, on these same platforms I, don't which know,
0: I, feel, I, I feel like a lot of a lot of uh, generation Z people who I am familiar with largely as as like junior colleagues at work are like YouTube for them is their their radio is the music and the you know the even to a greater extent than you know where you or I listen to music which I assume is a streaming service like Spotify that you pay for but like uh, to them so there there still is this kind of vector for uh, for virality as you say um and it is you know uh it is lovingly attended to in its crib because it it uh you know it the the dynamics are still there for um cost you know zero cost uh sort of sharing and and um experience of, of music like this like the the I think the the relevance of, of YouTube is probably something that like I I can't listen to music on YouTube because I'm an old person and it just seems wasteful to me to use all of that bandwidth all of that like information density if all you really care about is the uh, uh, is the the audio but of course they probably don't just care about the audio they these uh, you know uh, unknowable these unknowable generation's ears the the um, they probably do care about the the music videos as well um, yeah which I guess our generation knows knows something about too um, not sorry not really sure where i where I was leading with that uh,
1: is it is guys.
3: it strange to anybody else that there is no quintessential pop song of the current historical moment like it when when there are movies in the future about what's happening now in the world we're all going to be listening to billy eilish apparently because that's the only thing that's new that's current no but, but what, really, yeah, yeah. what
1: happened but, was that what, old town road of the quarantine right there's no like even even like a gimmicky sort of memeable song that sort of our, captures
2: for sure. a hot second it was i saw a tiger. Nice. <laughs> for a hot second but that hot second, second. Has passed you moved on to other things
0: but yeah. that like yeah it, what when the same way you always know you're in a v- Vietnam movie if you hear the beginning of Fortunate Son right like you know uh, you know you're in quarantine if you hear what like Gulga Gadot co- covering uh, Imagine with her friends on Instagram
2: Song <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> in in 20 different keys by 20 different people, <laughs>
0: by the way. Yeah, the, the, Walmart, the Walmart ad where Lean On Me is sung in in 20 different keys by 20 different people. It actually is, I mean, it is sort of interesting. I mean, there is something to be said, I guess, about comfort and like going back to what's familiar and like it's a time for sort of cover songs and for greatest hits and not for sort of new pathbreaking innovation, right? Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: you, know, so, uh, you know what's
2: currently... It's, um, in... Yeah, Matt, you go ahead.
1: You know it's currently slowly ascending its way up the Billboard charts is uh, – I don't know if you guys have heard it, but Billy Joe Armstrong of uh, Green Day did a cover of I Think We're Alone Now, which is uh, actually like it, – it could get some serious radio play. It's been, it has been it came out like a month ago, and it's been gradually making its way up. But that, of course, is a cover of a song originally released in 1964 by the Shondells. And, or 1967, well, I gotta Google this. But then, like, re-released in the 80s by Tiffany. By Tiffany, right?
0: yeah. That's the version I know. It
1: was, like, just sort of, like, the, the very tech, techno-y, not, I guess not techno but there's a lot of synths in that song. Um, And, uh, yeah, I guess the, the time has come. And he did, Billy Joe Armstrong did specifically say that it was, like, a quarantine song. Even though, like, the actual song, the lyrics are about um, hooking up. And and not be, is is that like not being alone, but being alone with one other person. <laughs> um, so not exactly about quarantining, but more about like sneaking off to make out. <laughs> you keep um, saying
0: you keep saying this word "alone." I do not think it means right. what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> um.
3: Here's another weird angle on all this, though, and I'm curious what you guys think of this as well. One of the things that occurred to me in li- reading this was that when I think back to when I was a kid and I think about movies and music and TV, there was this ascendancy that seemed to always be building on itself to this song is the greatest. This is the most popular album of all time. This is the most popular show of all time. This is the most popular movie of all time. The biggest box office receipts, the biggest opening weekends, the longest running hits. And, and there was this sense that the, the things that were going to come out were were going to be more impressive and, and more uh, and, and kind of bigger than the things that had happened in the past. And, um, and and it, it seems in some degree, and whereas it did, of course, did not always happen. Right. E.T. was the number one movie for a long time. Jurassic Park was the number one movie for a long time. I was like, oh, Gone with the Wind might be that. It goes back to the notion that when we were young, there were still a lot of people around who did not grow up with recordings at all. Right. Like like the history of recording is much shorter than we might even think that it is. In our, in our sort of default understanding, right? If you go back into the 19th century, there just isn't any. It just doesn't exist. I mean, maybe Jordan would be on here and be like, well, you're wrong, Peter. It started in like the 1870s or 80s or whenever it was that they first got the original initial ones going, whether they were like hand carving it on nickel plates or something. But there was this idea that, of course, recorded music couldn't like fall off of, of generational understanding because there hadn't been enough, there hadn't been a generation <laughs> to do that right like there there hadn't been a point in which across a sort of three generation spread every generation had full saturation of its own pop music from the beginning to the end you know we heard on the radio available on physical media right like played ambiently in stores like I, here's that's what i want to know when did they start playing music in stores like, like, as in recorded music, as right? Because like, f- like fancy, performers.
0: fancy music, there, there's always been a like a pianist in Macy's in on Thirty yeah, yeah. Fourth Street or something, right?
3: Like, yeah, yeah. There's always been piano players at Nordstrom's going back thousands of years. Yeah,
0: one of the that right, exactly. <laughs> like, uh, I think, I think Plato wrote about the uh, the piano players in Nordstrom's. I think. Uh, yeah,
3: but like for, I think that's such a casual thing, and it's like it's shocking to see the Gen Z people not picking up the music from the '60s. But then it's like, well, yeah, but, like, they guess the 60s, the kids who were born in the 60s and 50s didn't have the option of not picking up the music from the 1890s, right? Like, cause it, it's like, oh, man, that old Penny Whistle music just isn't doing it for the kids these days, right? Uh, because, like, it, listening to it on recording wasn't even really a possibility. Yeah,
0: there um, there was, I mean, there were these kind of, like, archival... I mean, there are two, there are kind of two phases of this. One is like recording technology, which I guess is like 1880, right? With the the phonograph and the gramophone, but like, um... But then, but then the mass production, right? The, the sort of in, industrial mass production of these, uh, of these artifacts that, that at a price point that people, people can buy. Cause there actually was a, like a folk revival, or I shouldn't say revival. There was a lot of interest in, in folk music at a certain point where there were like, um, what is it? Harry Smith's Anthology of American Folk Music or something like that. That are these archive, that are these, you know, sociological, you know, ethnographic recordings of, of, people um playing their you know playing their music uh throughout rural america and like that that uh um stuff became popular again so it was they like to a certain extent they were uh picking up on the on the pop music of 50 years ago 75 years ago except it happened to be it was recorded then for like scholarly purposes and later on was repurposed to to you know uh go the the you know go up the charts with the, the the cuckoo. She's a pretty bird and she warbles when she flies, but she never hollers cuckoo till the fourth day of July. That was a real banger. They were uh they were dancing to that at all the weddings in the sixties and seventies. Um but yeah, I mean your point is that there's a uh a, you know that, well, there's a limit. There's a limit to how far back you can go, how far back the kind of the generational uh, inhumanity to one another can can be perpetuated.
3: Well, here's here's a here's an excerpt, right, uh, from an article from Mental Floss, uh, July 2011, called Muzak History, the Background Story on Background Music. So so this is what this is saying, and I'm going to just read a brief excerpt here. The early, back, early background music did fairly well for Muzak, but the company really started taking off in the 1940s. As World War II required more and more industrial production, company researchers made a surprising discovery. Muzak could apparently make workers happier and more productive. Muzak patented a system called Stimulus Progression that offered 15-minute blocks of instrumental background music that provided listeners with a subconscious sense of forward movement. When workers listened to these blocks, they got more work done. <laughs> so this is this is all kind of fascinating, right? And I'd love to talk to somebody who knows a little bit more about all of this. But it's like that the Muzak people their their key discovery was a way to transmit music through an electrical wire, and that this led and this was only the twenties, right? And by the forties, you have a situation where you can broadcast music across an entire large workplace in you know, for a discernible reason. Um, And and I just feel like I take that for granted as a way of encountering it. That's all. Um, And and I guess maybe part of why maybe maybe the sort of – Fracturing of the shared workplace is another reason, is another occasion for the fracturing of shared music. Certainly, I remember working at the Applebee's in the early 2000s, and and uh, uh, "You Rock My World" by Michael Jackson being played all the time, which I probably wouldn't remember if I didn't work in an Applebee's in the early 2000s. Um, I mean, I don't know. Chris Tucker was in the video; it was pretty funny, you know. I you know what it is, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that has to do with man's inhumanity to man, or like the children growing up just to, to carve their way out of the stomachs of the parents. Who consumed them uh, and other sorts of Greek myths? I hope that my son doesn't do that. Um, I don't. I don't intend to swallow well, him. So I hope he doesn't it's, yeah, carve it's too, his way
0: out. It's too late, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he had his chance. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, he had his chance to leap out of my head fully armored. But you know, it's. Uh, that's, you know, he doesn't want to take everything, you know, he's want to leave something for the siblings if they come by at some point in the future. But,
0: so the the um, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, this has been a sort of an interesting discussion, more of a more of an investigation um, than a strictly uh, strictly speaking connected set of arguments, but but all sort of very interesting stuff. So we're very interested in hearing uh, from anyone listening to this, if you want to hop into the comments on the show notes and and, you know, give your theories for what uh, how your engagement with popular music. Music has changed. What you think accounts for the sort of um, some of the some of the cycles and the kind of generational uh, attention to uh, music? Whether it's you know whether it's possible to have a, a sort of mass culture anymore? And some of the some of the other interesting things that that we talked about. As long as you remember one thing, which is that the music our generation liked was brilliant and uh, genre defying and path breaking. It was the best, yeah. was the best. Uh, and. And what you listen to, what you kids listen to today, uh, that's just noise. Thanks for listening to the Overthinking Podcast. We enjoy making this noise for you. Thanks very much to Matt, Pete, and Mark for uh, doing the show. And uh, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking It. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve.